African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. A very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Asanda Mazaunyane. I'm in for Benjamin today and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Welcome to the show. Uh, today we look at the African Forest Forum Workshop that is currently underway in Togo and we look at what that's all about. Before we get into that though, let's get an update from the news desk. Here's Anne Musa. In the headlines, U.S. accused of killing 22 soldiers in a misdirected Somalia airstrike. U.N. chief welcomes initial findings released on the downing of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 and South Africa's Wits University runs a poll to determine if the campus population wants the academic program to resume. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musam. An airstrike in northern Somalia has left as many as 22 soldiers dead. Local officials say the United States had been tricked into attacking their troops. They say the airstrike was called after Somali troops thought they faced fire from the militants. Al-Shabaab has denied that it had any fighters in the area of the latest incident. Amnesty International is alleging that the Sudanese government used chemical weapons against its own citizens in a remote region of Darfur. The rights group says it has credible evidence of the incidents taking place over the last eight months. Amnesty estimates that 30 possible chemical attacks have taken place in the Jabal Mara area of Darfur, in which more than 200 people were killed. The government of Sudan is yet to respond to the allegations. The release of the initial results of a criminal investigation into the downing of Malaysia's airline's flight MH17 in Ukraine has been welcomed by the UN chief Ban Ki-moon. The plane was hit by a book missile as it travelled from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur on the 17th of July in 2014, killing all 298 people on board. Ban has commended the joint investigation team for their extensive efforts in carrying out a thorough impartial and independent probe into the incident. The team includes police officers and prosecutors from the Netherlands Ukraine, Australia, Malaysia and Belgium. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric. We believe that the final conclusion of the criminal investigation, together with those of the technical investigation led by the Dutch Safety Board that identified the cause of the crash, will be crucial in bringing the perpetrators to justice. 
As the fees must fall, protests continue at tertiary institutions across South Africa. The Council of the Cape Law Society has offered to establish a team of independent mediators in an effort to resolve the current impasse. The society, however, says it will not be drawn in on the merits of the call for free higher education at this stage. President of the Cape Law Society, Ashraf Muhammad, says... While they appreciate that there are indeed legitimate demands by students, they are also mindful of some of the complexities involved. We would like to establish a panel of mediators with specialist conflict resolution skills who can assist the various parties who are embroiled in the current education crisis of 2017. What we're seeing is a lack of communication of manifestations of violence, the closure of universities, suspension of uh, classes. Of particular concern for, for us as a capital society is uh, the role that we think we can play in assisting all the parties in coming to a win-win situation. Meanwhile, South Africa's Wits University is running a poll to determine if the campus population wants the academic program to resume next Monday. Lectures and tests have been suspended since last week following violent protests by students demanding free higher education. University management says the results will be, re- will be verified by one of the top five auditing companies in the country as the Independent Electoral Commission cannot assist with the process. University spokesperson Sharona Patel says participants are only allowed to vote once. Students will receive an SMS and they will be required to respond to that SMS indicating if they want to go back to class on Monday. Staff members will receive a web link by an email or via WhatsApp or SMS. They will be required to log into the system and to respond accordingly. The poll will open at 7 o'clock and will close at 4 o'clock. Technical team on standby in case we have anything that goes down. Recapping the top stories, the United States accused of killing 22 soldiers in a misdirected Somalia airstrike. UN Chief Ban Ki-moon welcomes the initial findings released on the downing of a Malaysia Airlines flight MH17. And South Africa's Wits University runs a poll to determine if the campus population wants the academic program to resume on Monday. Change your game. Your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, this is Channel Africa you tuned into, and thanks to Anne there for that news update. Welcome to African Dialogue. My name is Asanda Matzaunyane. Our topic for today, the African Forestry Forum is a pan-African non-governmental organization that brings together individuals who share the quest for and commitment to the sustainable management, use and conservation of the forest and tree resources of Africa. The organization has generated considerable information on various aspects of forestry and forestry, including climate change, green economy, provision of quality tree germ plants, and uh, forest and trees, pests and diseases, forest governance, forest certification. As more stakeholders take steps towards developing and implementing forestry compatible development, FCD, the demand for information and knowledge on forestry and more specifically on forest management is growing rapidly and to talk about this we joined in the line by Dr Mbolo Abada Marie Marguerite as well as uh, Humphrey Ngimbuini Dr Mbolo is a senior lecturer at the University of Yaounde and Humphrey is a Kenyan delegate at the workshop a very good morning to the both of you good morning good morning let me start with you uh, Dr Marguerite uh, let's talk about the management of forests in general First, what is the FCD, the Forestry Compatible Development? Can you take us through the Forestry Compatible Development, the FCD, when we talk about the management of forests in general? Yes, uh, forestry uh, since Rio uh, 1992, uh, we have been defining sustainable development and also in the forestry we have the defining sustainable management of forest with the three compartments that is uh, economical viability, uh, social equity, and environmental uh, respect. That is, we should not, uh, if we want to sustain the management of our forest, we have to try to get equilibrium between the three aspects. So, of course, we have to gain money. money to get benefit because we invest, our first operators are investing in force management, so they have to get benefit. But they should not um, uh, forget that this, from this benefit should be sharing the first benefitively between all the stakeholders around the forest they are managing, and also that they should keep the forest, the environment, the physical environment of the forest good, in good health. Because if the forest, the forest, the physical environment of the forest is not good, then the forest cannot continue to produce what they are needing, what they are uh, exporting, what they are harvesting. That is uh, how uh, forestry uh, is uh, seen now since you 1992, and everybody, all the governments, forest operators are trying to make their best to try to achieve these. Uh, uh, we are struggling to hear you a little bit uh, there, but uh, I think we can get the gist of what you're saying. There's a bit of an echo. I don't know if you can do something about that, uh, Doctor. But what I understand is that you're saying the, the conference started in 1992. Is that correct? Yes, the conference, uh, the real conference on uh, sustainable development was in 1992. Okay. And then uh, we've got Professor Godwin Coero who joins us. Uh, good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. How are you? 
Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We we good thanks. In terms of management of forests in general, where are we in, in Africa, Professor Kowero? Uh, we are at various stages. Um, there are the natural forests which uh, are more than I would say more than seven hundred million hectares. And uh, I would say most of these forests are not under any system of uh, management. They are natural, yes. They belong to the state, yes. But the systems of management, uh, which uh, we'd like to see on the ground, are not there in many of these forests. Um, well, I would say that of this uh, uh, not more than 10 million hectares, really, you can say that under serious uh, systems of, of forest management. However, they, they are actually, in many cases, under um, what we call protection forests. Uh, they are protected uh, for various reasons. There's water catchment areas for wildlife um, and um, for other purposes. Um, in in terms of uh, making the such ecosystem values um, available to the society. However, we have also uh, forest plantations. Uh, these are under systems of management, and uh, they are largely in the private sector. Uh, there are still some governments who own forest plantations, and, but these are under systems of active forest management. We have forests which are under local communities, and uh, we see this shift, actually. In terms of players in forest ownership and management, we see that the private sector and the local communities are coming up as government shares its responsibilities from uh, forest business. But um, the local communities, um, mainly we have what we call uh, participatory forest management, which involves the, the, the communities themselves to actually get engaged in aspects of, of management of these forest resources. So yes, we see the government uh, largely managing the forest estate, but it's in public domain, um, uh, especially in terms of its protection. Um, then we see the private sector managing mainly uh, um, the plantations and in some cases concession forests uh, in, in the natural uh, forests and also the local communities who are also managing some parts of natural forests that have been uh, given to them by government and also woodlots that have grown themselves. So that is a uh, quick um, scenario on how uh, forests are being managed on the continent. What is attendance like at the conference, Humphrey, and is this uh, satisfactory in your view in terms of tackling this issue? Yeah, the, the conference is now attended by delegates from uh, all over Africa, and the topics we are discussing are pertinent to forest development in Africa. They range from uh, climate change, um, the operation of the red class, and uh, we're also discussing uh, pests and diseases. We had the um, topic on certification, and uh, there also the involvement of the private sector in the forest development being, being discussed. I think it's a very good conference. It brings delegates from all of Africa to discuss issues which affect um, uh, different regions uh, in Africa. Can you tell us about the green economy? Share with us what has been said around the issue at the conference. 
Yeah, the, the importance of um, green economy has been emphasized. How we manage our forests so that they contribute towards uh, our green economy. That means managing in a manner that um, uh, preserves the environment, avoiding waste during harvesting, avoiding um, creating um, more um, carbon dioxide in the air as we, as we manage our forests. So it's uh, actions uh, we need to follow when we manage the forest. Um, uh, that will promote green economy. The use of dangerous chemicals, for example, the conservation of um, water sources, all the things that we need to do so that um, uh, we achieve the green economy status. Professor Kowero, there's a term here, tree germplasm. Can you tell us what that means? Um, in simple terms, that uh, constitutes two things, a collection of seed collections, and also seedlings which are planting material. And yeah. that is also the subject of this uh, uh, conference. In terms, actually in the conference we are looking at the whole spectrum of forest management in the region, uh, spanning from um, the way we are handling seeds and uh, seedlings, which are the planting stock, uh, to the way we are handling the, the forests once they are grown, uh, the plantations and the natural forests, in terms of protecting them from pests and diseases, and also how we are using them, especially through private sector and management, uh, uh, wood processing, uh, marketing and trade. And also we are looking at uh, the external environment to this investment in terms of climate change, how it impacts on forests and how forests are responding and how people are using forests as means of coping uh, during uh, adverse effects of climate change. We are also looking at uh, issues of the green economy as we already discussed and also the external environment which is also influenced by um, the negotiations done at global level uh, that are related to forests uh, and the conventions and agreements that come from them, uh, which African governments have subscribed to. So coming back to uh, germplasm or the planting stock uh, in terms of seeds and seedlings, we have carried an analysis of the situation on the continent in terms of participants uh, to collect the seeds, to raise seedlings, so that uh, we can plant as we see an upsurge in interest and uh, also investment in forests in terms of planting what we call afforestation, new areas, and in terms of planting in harvested areas, which we call reforestation. And also in terms of rehabilitating degraded areas which are very extensive on the continent. So we have areas to plant, we have areas to plant. So our question is, do we have that capacity? Do we have the seeds? Do we have the seedlings? Do we have the infrastructure to get these materials uh, to the required sites? And the mm-hmm. answer is that the capacity on the continent is not good. Uh, some countries like South Africa, yes, they are doing well, they have the capacity. But in some, in many countries, even meeting the current needs 
of seeds and seedlings is a problem. They cannot, many countries cannot meet even 50% of that. Now, that has a serious implication on how we take advantage of this interest in forests uh, in terms of combating climate change by extending the area that is under trees we have to plant, uh, by um, planting in the areas where we are harvesting. We have initiatives that come from uh, the Kyoto Protocol, uh, like the clean development mechanisms, and they provide incentives in, the sense, in terms of finances to plant more trees. We have mm-hmm. incentives also that come through Red Plus, that is another financing or incentive to plant trees. Uh, we have uh, the private sector itself is interested in planting more trees because the demand for wood products is increasing. We have government policies that require nations to be sensitive to um, the, the value of trees and forests. And, and all these are critical investments to increase uh, or to expand our capacity to plant trees. Then the question is, arises, do we have the seeds? Do we have the ceiling? Do we have the, the, the infrastructure to roll this out? So that is what we've been discussing under the broad subject areas of germplasm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, let's just uh, take a pause uh, there, uh, Professor Kowero. This is African Dialogue. We'll be back after this. From the 15th of August, join Channel Africa at 900 Central African Time from Monday to Thursday every week for the book reading. A Vision of Paradise by Kaysen Yatsumba. That's Monday to Thursday at 900 Central African Time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Asanda Matsaunyane. We're talking about the African Forest Forum workshop that is currently underway in Togo. And do remember that African Dialogue comes to you Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours. That's Central African time. And if you want to interact with us, we are on Twitter at Channel Africa. You can also email info at channelafrica.org. Uh, Dr. Margarita, uh, Professor Coero mentioned uh, before the uh, term tree germplasm and talking about the collection of seedlings that are involved in there and the question of where that we have the capacity and the infrastructure needed for this type of a strategy is this where in your view the private sector comes in to help uh, government in tackling this issue and making sure that there is provision and funding uh, yes for the time being as uh, Dr. Coyle said um, we don't have a, there is no infrastructure to real infrastructure, equipment infrastructure to collect seeds and uh, uh, try. Even if we are, we have to implement a forestation plantation plantation programs, so we don't have enough enough seedlings or seeds to really achieve this. But uh, what we have seen in these uh, 10 years is that uh, government has really integrated uh, afforestation in their programs. In my region, in my country, Cameroon, for example, the government is uh, really, has really in the strategy 2020 
have been his uh, plan to uh, really uh, a forest to really reforest more than uh, 20,000 hectares of forest, uh, 200,000 hectares of uh, replantation or new plantation or forest plantation. And that uh, is only not by government, but also by communities themselves, by councils, by individuals, by private, all of that to contribute only to uh, increase the, the, the forest areas and then to stop the, the desert that is uh, uh, growing, growing, and uh, uh, laughing through the forest. Uh, so the most important is that uh, to let government uh, integrate these in their programs, in their policies, in their laws and regulations. If they are integrated and then uh, uh, buyers, uh, uh, how can we say that... Uh, all the all the other actors, even funders, even for, uh, uh, colonial operators, will uh, follow because they need the they need the okay from the the ops the ops the, from the head yeah. from the head of state. They need the okay from the government so yeah. that they will continue. They will imp- just implement on the field. Now, talking about that uh, input from the government, uh, Humphrey, is there enough legislation by countries to protect the forests? Um, many countries are uh, uh, I'm, I'm posing this one to Humphrey, uh, Doctor. We'll come back to you. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, many countries are going through the process of amending their laws so that they can protect the, the forest. Mm-hmm. I think um, they, they are, um, in many countries the, the laws are more adequate, but uh, it's the implementation of those laws um, and the capacity for governments to be able to, 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 to cover the large expanses of forest in their countries. Um, I think there's still work to be done on making sure that um, adequate reforms in um, the laws and the policies are in, in place so that forests are adequately protected. But as I said earlier, the government don't have the capacity to cover uh, every hectare and protect it from um, invasion from the communities or forest fires and so forth. That's what, where the problem lies. What, what is the case in Kenya? Because we know, you know, Kenya is one of the Central African countries that have a, a big problem with deforestation. And if we look at the late uh, activist uh, uh, Wangari Natai, who stood up for that deforestation and won a Nobel Peace Prize for that uh, effort, what is the, the the status in Kenya? Has this uh, made any difference? Yeah, uh, the the complaint by Wangari Natai has brought awareness. Um, to Kenya about the need to protect forests. And um, following that, uh, and uh, actions of other organizations, NGOs and so forth, and local Kenyans, the laws and policies are being um, reviewed now, and I think they've just gone to the Parliament and the Senate. And these laws strengthen the capacity for government uh, to protect to protect forests. Uh, the awareness has been heightened in Kenya, and then uh, people, communities are much more uh, sensitive about destroying forests. Nevertheless, the need for agricultural land is, is, is still very large. The need for land for grazing is still uh, quite big, and there's still a lot of pressure uh, on the existing forest. And um, mm-hmm. community education is, is required to show, to show them the need to conserve forests and also um, to manage, manage the agricultural activities in a way that is compatible with the forestry also.
Dr. Margarita, there's the other challenge around deforestation is that wildlife gets lost. How do we achieve a good system that doesn't endanger the wildlife? Dr. Margarita? How do we make sure that there's, there's a good system in place that does not endanger wildlife when we talk about uh, uh, tackling the issue of deforestation? Because that is one of the challenges that we see wildlife being lost. Uh, okay. Yes, deforestation. When you the the forest is um, small, can it is an habitat where uh, living uh, plants, animals, and all those uh, living living organisms. So if you destroy the forest, you destroy the habitat of animals. You destroy the habitat of wildlife. You destroy the habitat of even uh, trees and uh, other plants. So the problem of deforestation of, is very important because while deforesting, you are losing a lot of diversity. You are, losing a lot, you are losing a lot of biodiversity. That is why we should do our best to conserve the forests that are there. That is why uh, we, so we are talking to implement the sustainable development, as I was saying, to keep the environment, the forest environment, as well as health as possible, so that we can keep this habitat, we can save the habitat of wildlife, and then we can keep them for years and centuries. Uh, Professor Kowero, what about the pro- what about uh, the processing of wood uh, for for trade? How do we make sure that in the process we don't lose the forests when taking into account that the the forest is needed for wood processing and trade? Professor Kowero. Um, we have uh, ways of managing uh, forests for uh, industrial wood production and on a sustainable basis. Uh, the knowledge, uh, the information is available. Those who are trained in forests, they know how to harvest the forest without uh, um, uh, endangering the ability to supply more wood in the future. We, 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 everybody who is trained in forestry, especially at the undergraduate level, even at the diploma technical level, they are equipped with the information on mm-hmm. how to raise the trees, how to mark the trees for, for felling, and which ones remain, and uh, when to come to that place, especially in natural forest, and harvest again. This when, information when is it, known. When it comes but to controls, when it comes to yeah. controls, is that controlled to make sure that the people who go into the forest for that particular wood processing are the ones who are trained? That is where I'm going into. The people who sell the wood or the logs are with the, the forest departments. So they are the ones who are the custodian of the trees. And they are the ones who can endanger the sustainability or the sustained supply of, of trees in any area. And that's why we have problem of all these illegalities in terms of harvesting illegally. Uh, people turning uh, their eyes on the other direction when uh, harvesting operations are, are, are undertaken in forest areas. Uh, people not following um, the, the work ethics that are required. 
and the professionalism that is required in undertaking these activities. So that's where the, 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 we have the, the problem lies centrally on work ethics and professionalism. And as long as we are lose on those two, then we'll continue to lose our forests and we cannot sustain sustainably supply uh, logs for our industries. But if those are contained, especially through uh, proper uh, supervision of those who are in charge of these forest resources, then we will continue to have a sustained supply of the wood products. I know we have seen our forest services operate well in the past. I would say some 15, 20 years ago, people were harvesting wood sustainably. But right now, uh, because of corruption, uh, because of uh, small pay for forest workers, they become tempted to throw away professionalism and work ethics and they have a quick gain uh, from selling wood illegally and, and in unprofessional ways. But the industry, I would say, we shouldn't blame the industry per se. We should blame those who are selling this wood, uh, the trees in a manner that endangers future supplies. The industry can blame it in the context of enticing um, the, 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 the forest workers with uh, some incentives for more wood that can be procured illegally. And that is what is happening. But otherwise, we have the, the knowledge what we like are good systems of law enforcement. Uh, Humphrey, when it comes to paper production consumption, has this come up in the, in the uh, dialogues? And what are the social costs of, of this? We've just discussed now when it comes to wood processing. Paper is something that is needed, you know, and it, it's needed, needed in large quantities. How do we deal with this? Has this come up in the forum? Well, we haven't discussed that. It will come up later in the, in the forum. But as you know, um, uh, apart from South Africa, the rest of Africa produces very little paper. And most of what is it's imported. In fact, we, we buy quite a bit of paper mm-hmm. in Kenya from South Africa, and the rest comes from um, uh, other countries, um, uh, maybe Sweden, Finland, and, and so forth. So it, it's um, an industry which is um, in very early stages. And um, uh, maybe as you develop the country, will become self-sufficient. Again, with the cost of producing paper in Africa, um, uh, and compare that with the, the cost of importing paper. So all, all those have to be balanced. We need to produce paper at a higher cost than we import it. These are the things that we need to consider. The other thing is um, creating enough resources to produce paper because um, uh, a small, a small paper mill maybe requires something like uh, half a million cubic meters of wood, and that's quite a lot. As Professor has said, the strategies of wood already for the basic things like construction wood. So the priority maybe will go to construction wood and then then paper. So creating that resource takes um, a lot of land, a lot of um, immense cost in building uh, large enough plantations for that purpose. Uh, Dr. Marguerite, what are the ecological costs of paper production consumption uh, as uh, connected to forest and deforestation? 
What are the, what we just discussed the social costs, but what are the ecological costs when it comes to paper production consumption connected to deforestation? Ecological aspect of the forest. The ecological costs when it comes to paper production, forests being used to produce paper. Yes. Uh, yes, some, what is some of the uh, ecological cost of the forest? Anyhow, anyhow it come, it, uh, there is no cost that are uh, single. All the costs of the sustainable management forest are linked in the management plan. So uh, you have to plan other activities. There is no cost that are totally linked just for ecology or for social uh, aspect or just for economical aspect. The thing is that, uh, we, of course, this will uh, a little bit uh, uh, elevate the, the cost. It will increase the cost because now the first one the people was uh, exploiting the forest. We have just to remove the trees and uh, 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 go out of from the forest. But now the before removing the tree, you have first to locate the tree to draw reference to it, that is with GPS and all these issues. And then when you cut it, you have to take care to not to follow. To, to let the other trees follow them. And after that, when you remove the tree, you have even to take care from uh, about uh, the, the the rivers. That means you not leave them like uh, lakes. So you have to take care of all of this. That's the increased cost in terms of human resources first. Because uh, in the management cell today, the first thing was in the, in the management cell for an forest operator, you have need just to have maybe two or three persons, but now they need to have somebody responsible for um, for mapping with GIS. Another one to be responsible of um, social aspect. Another one to make to be responsible of uh, inventories. Another one to be responsible of environmental aspect. Another one to be responsible of um, communicating with uh, relationship with stakeholders because uh, all these are related together to manage sustainably the, the forest. If you have problems mm-hmm. in local communities, for example, I take an example uh, uh, for uh, Central Africa, if you have local, uh, difficulties in local communities that are not uh, are angry of the way you are exploiting the forest, they could block your locks for 20 to two or three days. That is uh, really will have an impact on your finance mechanism on your business. But if you are you are doing well with them, you have good relationship with those people that are satisfied with that, what you are doing, then you there is no problem. It will not have such problem and then your management, your business will, will work very well. So uh, it's globally in a management plan that uh, you need to capitalize all these issues. And uh, today uh, the laws and regulations should also follow. Because uh, a management plan to be put in place and to be sustainable forest management, uh, you have to invest. And those investments, you can just uh, start to get benefits maybe after five, five, five or six years. That is why in the, the requirement of the ITT, International Timber, Tropical Timber Organization, they say that they, you should have the forest right for a long time. 
that is more than 20, more than 25 years. So they should not just have the right for to, for forest just for three years, but because you cannot, the only investment that are core for the sustainable forest management cannot be um, amortized. I, I don't know the, the, the word in, in English, cannot be amortized just in two or three years. You have to have the forest. Yeah, the, we definitely need a more time for that. that. Uh-huh, so that you can, uh, yes. for, for a more sustainable uh, difference. All right, uh, uh, Professor Coero, how does one deal with forest pests and diseases without harming the environment? Um, it depends. Um, definitely in many cases, um, you might find that you have to use chemicals uh, to get uh, pests and diseases but in um, in some other cases, uh, you might find that uh, for pests, for example, you you might find a, a predator that uh, attacks the pests without um, destroying the environment. But in many cases, which I've seen um, in uh, in forestry, um, I don't think that we are harming the environment very much in terms of getting rid of pests and diseases. So this is it's not really a big um, issue? The pests and diseases are a big issue, are a big, big issue for Africa. The question is how we manage it. Without harming the environment. How we we anticipate it. We don't have to wait until it occurs, because we know the. So, so how do we answer that question, then, Professor? How do we answer that question, uh, Professor Coero? Which question? How do we how do we manage uh, forest pests and diseases? As you have mentioned, it is a big problem. Yeah, it's, it's a huge problem. We we have undertaken studies all over the continent, and we've been discussing those results in this workshop. And uh, the, we see that this is an area that has not been receiving adequate attention. And all over the sub-regions of Africa, we see the prevalence of many pests and diseases, and especially... Um, they are not really, uh, just confined in natural forests. You find also them in, uh, on the farms. You find on the woodlots that uh, people uh, have. You find them in forest plantations. And um, we don't have, I would say, the means and the infrastructure to confront this problem. And this is one serious issue that can affect future investments in forestry. Mm-hmm. So, so we're still trying to find ways. We, we, it's yeah, it's, still, it's still in draft. And, we and don't just, have to wait. Yeah. We don't have to wait until a forest is attacked. We have to anticipate uh, these pests and diseases by studying the conditions for their existence and, and trying to mitigate. But where they occur, we have to join forces because they don't respect borders. And um, we nations 
and regions have to join forces and design mechanisms for uh, containing them. Okay, so let's close it. Let's close it up. Problem, and we have, come, we have to come up with strategies on how to handle them. Mm-hmm. Let's close it up, Humphrey, and talk about now how do we get the general public involved? What are uh, programs that are out there over and above this uh, forum that's taking place? After the forum, how do we get uh, the general public and the members of societies involved in taking interest in taking care of the environment and uh, moving away from deforestation? Yeah, the the the. The Senda has will create a lot of um, investment to the participants, and when they go back to their own countries, um, they'll be discussing at a government level and community level. A lot of um, um, experts here come from NGOs, and um, they also come from uh, organizations which um, uh, take care of the government, like the Greenpeace movement, and um, they are in contact with the communities, and uh, we we'll check that. Um, there will be a lot of information coming from the seminar to the communities on how to manage the forest better and uh, how to anticipate issues like disease uh, and press and how to report to the nearest authorities so that the action can be taken. Um, farmers are taking a bigger role in planting trees. If you look, look at Kenya, there are more trees planted by farmers uh, than planted by government and private companies. The same thing in Tanzania and Uganda. So we need to pass this information to the farmers who are already growing trees commercially so that they can mm-hmm. manage their access. Information is, is very important. So we're going to leave it there. Unfortunately, that's, uh, we are out of time. But thank you to all of you for making time to chat to us here on African Dialogue. Thank you. That's, uh, that was Professor Godwin Kowero, Executive Secretary of African Forestry Forum. We had Dr. Mbolo Abada-Marie Marguerite, a senior lecturer at the University of Yaoundé, as well as Humphrey Ngibwini, closing it off there, who's a Kenya delegate at the African Forest Forum Workshop. It's time now for our economics news here on African Dialogue, and here's Jualani Tulo. Thank you, Asanda. Good morning. The beleaguered Botswana Meat Commission is set for revitalization following revelations that the country will soon start exporting beef to Israel. A technical team comprising officials from the Department of Veterinary Services and BMC have been shuttling between Khaborone and Johannesburg finalizing logistics on the impending deal. The new development is expected to be finalized by next month. The the Comesa Business Council Consultative Dialogue on the Movement of Business Persons is taking place in Lusaka, Zambia. The objective of the two-day meeting is to review and validate the proposed Comesa Business Visa. Sikhe Zuma reports. The Common Visa Initiative is a follow-up to the recommendations that were presented to the Commerce Council of Ministers by the private sector in 2012 on the need to come up with an interim solution to facilitate the movement of business persons. Since then, the CBC has been working on developing the proposed instruments that can be adopted as a Commerce Business Visa, which will provide for multiple entries for business persons in the region. Key recommendations arising from the dialogue will be streamlined into an advocacy position for the CBC. 
Senegal has upsized its second sale of sovereign to Cook with Cote d'Ivoire and Togo, expected to close their own deals in coming days. This has Islamic finance gains tra- tra- gained traction as an alternative funding option for African sovereigns. Despite strong growth in the Middle East and Southeast Asia, Islamic finance has lagged in Africa, although it could be an important growth driver for the industry, as it is home to a quarter of the world's Muslims, Dumelo Zulu reports. Senegal issued a debut Sukak in 2014 and returned to the market in July with a 10-year deal paying a 6% profit rate backed by assets from Dakar's international airport. Investor demand prompted the issuer to seek regulatory approval to expand the size of the deal. According to the Saudi-based Islamic Corporation for the Development of Private Sector, ICD, which helped arrange the Sukak. More than half of the Senegal Sukak was sold to local investors, with a third taken up by investors from the Ivory Coast and Togo, which are next in line to tap the market. SAB Miller shareholders are backing the brewer's 100 billion US dollar plus takeover by, by rival in um, Inhauser Bush InBev by a large majority. SAB Miller's two largest shareholders, cigarette maker Altira Group and the Santago Domingo family of Colombia, who together control about 40% of the shares, have already pledged their support for the deal. The approval of SAB shareholders was widely expected, but not a given. And finally, Nigeria's Minister of Information and Culture, Alhaji Lai Mohammed, has reassured Nigeria that in spite of the difficulties posed by the current recession, the future of the country's economy is bright. He gave the reassurance at the celebration of World Tourism Day at the Eco Atlantic City, Lagos. Mohammed has noted that the multi million dollar city, being built by private investors on sandfold land recovered from the Atlantic Ocean, is a better testimony to his assertion for better days ahead. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 13.53 to the South African Rand, at 10.30 to the Botswana Pula, and at 9.77 to the Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.76 to the British Pound and at 0.89 to the Euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,325 and platinum at rather at $1,038 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at 47 dollars 97 cents a barrel for channel africa i'm jolani tulo this is channel africa South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa.
First up in our sports update this hour, we're serving with tennis news. South Africa's Mangawung municipality is set to stage international wheelchair tennis tournament from the 2nd to the 5th of October 2016. As the airport's company South Africa Bloom Open returns to the old student tennis club in South Africa's Free State province. The international premier event, which is the last tournament for the year, will be contested in the singles and the doubles draws in four categories men women quads and juniors over 70 players have entered the four-day event which has attracted a strong tanzanian interest wheelchair tennis managing director karen lodge sheds more light on the tournament it's one of the six international events we host in the year um, it is the last one for the year and it really is aimed at up-and-coming players so it's a future level event so it really takes these players who are getting trained at the camp as well as our top players who, like Leon Els, who was at the Paralympics, and Mariska Fenter, who is uh, SA's number two player, gives them the opportunity to play an international event, to improve their rankings, and actually start working on the program towards 2020 Paralympics. Lodge says they have also invited some of the African countries to participate in the last tournament of the year. We've invited um, the, the, um, the rest of the African countries who participate in wheelchair tennis to the camp um, to invite their junior players. Um, so we do have Ghana and Tanzania who took up the opportunity. They will also be sending um, a group of players to play in the, in the airport company South Africa Bloom Open. So we're ready to see how our guys can fare against the African countries. The, the airport company South African Bloom Open is also open to international events from all international players from all over the world. Um, I think just with the Paralympics finished, we don't have many players from Europe, but it usually attracts quite a nice field from Europe as well. In football news, if you really want the once again vacant England job, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal players provided the Frenchman the perfect show reel in a classy 2-0 defeat of FC Basel to move joint top of Champions League Group A last night. Sam Allardyce's self-inflicted demise after only 67 days in charge of the national team has inevitably given voice to those who say the FA should turn to Wenger, an almost de facto Englishman, after 20 years in charge of Arsenal. Arsenal's vibrant display against club that has got the better of Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea in the competition in recent years will strengthen their calls. Neither I didn't follow too much, but uh, it's a huge surprise what happened in the last... Uh, who could have predicted that 48 hours ago? Nobody. But uh, the English game is always full of surprises. Look, uh, of course, but uh, my priority has always uh, been this club, and until the end of this season, I'm, uh, I'm here. And I've completely focused on that. In local football, South African Premiership side Kaiser Chiefs claimed top spot on the log after a comfortable away win over Free State Stars on Wednesday night. Chiefs raked up a third successive league victory by overcoming Stars 2-0 at the James Mutlati Stadium. A first-half penalty from Zimbabwean midfield Willard Katsande and second-half strike from his compatriot Michel Katsavairo his first for the club took Steve Compella's side to top on goal difference. They are level on 10 points with Golden Arrows, who were held one all at the Princess Makoko Stadium in Guamashu, South Africa's Guazulu Natal province, by Supersport United.
And finally, with golf news, Europe has dominated the matches over the last two decades of the Ryder Cup with eight wins from ten last competitions. But some have branded their visitors as underdogs since half their 12-man team is comprised of Ryder Cup rookies. Rose scoffed at the notion of favourites or underdogs this week, saying Europe had no reason to feel overmatched. That's your sport news this hour. Well, thank you, Fikile, for that sports update. Uh, and that's how we end African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You can interact with us on Twitter at Channel Africa is our page. You can find us on Facebook. You can SMS as well to plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or email us at info at channelafrica.org. From me, Asanda Mazzaunyane and the team, producer Tumelo Zulu, executive producer Brad Wilkinson, it's goodbye.